Welcome back to the Asia Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Chan. You can find me on Twitter at jchanpharma. So recently, I had the chance to speak to Ying Huang, Legend Biotech's new CEO. Legend is a Chinese biotech company that has operations both in the US and China, and they focus on developing new cell therapies for treating cancer. The company is going to be presenting some new data for its clinical trials, for its new CAR T-cell therapy, for treating multiple myeloma this week at the ASH annual meeting. I spoke to Ying as part of a Q&A segment I did for the Stat China newsletter, and I thought it would be good to catch up with him ahead of the ASH meeting. Now, Legend has also gone through a series of leadership transition this year, and so we talked about that as well and how that has impacted him and the company. But just to set the context, let's do a quick recap of the company. So Legend was founded in 2014 as a subsidiary of Genscript Biotech, which is a Chinese gene and cell therapy company. Genscript was co-founded in 2002 by Frank Zhang, who served as the company's chairman, executive director, and CEO. And a big part of the company's business is contract research and manufacturing. Legend, on the other hand, focuses on developing CAR-T cell therapies, which is a new class of cancer treatments that harness the body's own immune cells and equips it with the right tools, so to speak, so that it can fight cancers. Now, in 2017, at the American Society of Clinical Oncology meeting, or ASCO, Legend grabbed all the headlines because the company presented incredible clinical trial data for its new cancer therapy it had been working on. Early stage data showed that 94% of patients who were treated with their CAR T cell therapy went into remission uh, within two months. These patients had multiple myeloma and had failed uh, multiple lines of therapy prior to taking uh, Legend's treatment. So 94% is um, pretty much unheard of in terms of effectiveness. And so that's why it was so astonishing to people who were there. And because Legend was quite an unknown entity at the time, you know, a Chinese biotech bursting onto the scene out of nowhere, naturally a lot of people were kind of skeptical about it, about the data and whether it's real or not. And as you'll hear from our conversation, Ying tells a funny story here um, at ASCO 2017. Um, so a couple of months later, it was announced that Johnson & Johnson signed a global partnership with Legend to develop its CAR-T therapy. And with a name like Jane j as a partner, I think that gave people a lot more confidence about Legend. Meanwhile, Genscript decided that it was better for Legend to be spun off as a separate company. So in June of this year, Legend IPO'd on the NASDAQ. Two months later in August... Uh, Legend CEO at the time, Yuan Shu, left the company for personal reasons, and so Frank became Legend CEO and chairman of the board. Flash forward a month and a half later, uh, and now we're in September. September 18th, and I remember this very uh, vividly, I get an alert from the Hong Kong Stock Exchange that Genscript suspended its trading uh, on the uh, Hong Kong Stock Exchange, and I wondered why. I remember it was a Friday and we didn't really hear anything until Monday. Uh, and so I had the whole weekend wondering why was Genscript suspended. So Monday comes along and Gen, um, Legend announced that Frank, who was still a non-executive director and chairman of the board at Genscript, 
He was detained by China's Customs Anti-Smuggling Department over suspected violations of import and export regulations. Now, the investigation is still ongoing, and as a result, Legend's board appointed Ying as the CEO. Which brings us now to my conversation with Ying from last week. And as you'll hear from Ying, he went from being pretty happy as an equity analyst to being the CFO of a young biotech to now becoming its CEO. Uh, all of this in about 17 months. In this next 30 minutes or so, you'll hear um, about Ying's first impression of Legend at ASCO 2017, why he decided to join the company last year, and how his transition into the CEO job has been. He also shares about what we should look for uh, at Ash this week, what he's learned about himself this year, and his advice to future scientists. Yeah, really excited to finally catch up with Legend. The company has come a long way. You know, since grabbing headlines at ASCO in 2017, you joined in, in 2019 as a CFO, but before you were a scientist and also as an analyst. So actually, first of all, were you at ASCO 2017 and were you aware of Legend Biotech before that? And also, were you surprised by the, their data readout? Sure, Jonathan. Actually, uh, funny that you asked me this question. Yes, personally, I was physically <laughs> in that seminar room, um, just like everyone else. You know, we looked at data, we're like, wow, that's really amazing. On the other hand, like, where did these guys come from? Can we even trust this data? <laughs> and to be honest, the presenter, unfortunately, had a sort of like a broken English. And it was hard to understand, I must say. <laughs> um, so, yes, I left the seminar room just you know, the same as everyone else, you know, on one hand, you're like, oh my God, there's a Chinese biotech company, which just reported amazing data um, from the uh, multiple myeloma trial. On the other hand, nobody ever heard about legends or, <laughs> you know, the, the presenter or the founders, right? Yeah. So yes, I was personally in that seminar room in 2017 um, when I was an analyst with uh, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Oh, I see. Yeah. So help me make the connection here. So um, you saw that data and two years uh, later, you're, you're with Legend. Um, <laughs> did you make connections there or did, were you kind of familiar with kind of the community already and you happen to know someone who knows someone? And yeah, how did, how did you end up with Legend? Um, yeah, that's another funny story. So I was analyst on Wall Street for uh, 12 years. And uh, right from my first year at uh, Wachovia, which is now Wells Fargo Securities, I started covering um, Celgene already as a junior analyst. So basically, in my whole career as an uh, equity research analyst, I've always covered um, Celgene. Um, and then um, since I moved over to BFA, that was in uh, 2014, I started also covering uh, Bluebird Bio. Um, so I've always followed the multiple myeloma field very closely myself as an analyst mm. and also specifically, um, followed this uh, emerging area of, uh, BCMA as a therapeutic target for the treatment of, uh, multiple myeloma. And, uh, personally, cause you asked, uh, Jonathan, you asked me whether I was there at ASCO, right? Mm -hmm. I have always personally attended ASCO and ASH every single year, basically. <laughs> so 
I was really familiar with the, the emerging treatments in myeloma and also specifically all the different modalities and also different molecules um, using uh, BCMA as a therapeutic target. So I was quite familiar with this. Uh, but what really crystallized my um, career change, so to speak, in 2019 is because um, our uh, CEO back at that time, um, Dr. Yuan Shu, and I actually happen to have a common friend who is a uh, who is a uh, actually healthcare investor based in New York City. So back in March of 2019, this common friend brought both of us um, into a lunch meeting, and then you know Yuan back then was asking me based on my personal experience and uh, the uh, position as an equity research analyst in biotech. She was asking me, you know, how typical IPO works, um, how long the lead time will be, how do you assemble a syndicate in terms of investment banks and also the council. Mm. Um, what's the difference between um, IPO in NASDAQ versus IPO in Hong Kong Exchange or even other uh, potential venues? So we had a, an interesting lunch meeting. And then uh, actually a couple of weeks later, she called me. She said, we are actually looking for a CFO. And, uh, you know, in our launch meeting, I found you, you know, to be very experienced. And that's exactly what we want because we have nobody in the company with that kind of capital market experience and uh, the um, connections and um, the relationships with all the investment banks and also the buy side investors. Mm-hmm. So she was asking me whether I was interested or not. Um, so my kind of like instinct was no, because, <laughs> um, you know, I was, I was doing pretty well as an equity research analyst. I was ranked, um, as a top uh, ranked analyst by institutional investor. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I thought I would uh, continue my career as an equity research analyst for, you know, for probably a few more years, if you ask me. And uh, I didn't have any plan to go back to industry so soon. But I think, um, you know, she really um, convinced me that, first of all, um, the BCMA is a very valid therapeutic target. That, I don't need her conviction because I followed companies such as um, Celgin, Bluebird, and the other competitors such as uh, GSK and uh, Gilead. Um, so I knew that. Secondly... Um, the data itself, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, right, for me as a biotech analyst. So I had no doubt in my mind that this BCMA CAR-T could be a paradigm-shifting uh, treatment for multiple myeloma one day. I mean, I guess the third is that um, she really convinced me that, you know, there's a lot of growth um, for a company such as Legend, which, by the way, was um, actually, um, you know, in no man's land in terms of categories because the company was a spin out from Genscript and uh, there was like a three to four million dollar seed capital when the company was founded back in 2014. But um, Legend never raised any capital through a venture um, round or uh, any other uh, source of capital except the payments from uh, J&J, the mm-hmm. strategic partner for this program. So she really convinced me that this is a good opportunity for me as a CFO because I will help shape the um, capital raising strategy and uh, I would lead the um, pre-IPO round and also the subsequent uh, IPO round investing. Um, so I thought it long and hard. In the end, I did take the plunge because, um, you know, I joined the industry 
um, right after grad school, I worked for Sharon Plow for nine years, mm-hmm. uh, which is now part of Merck company after acquisition. Um, so, you know, my heart has always been in the industry. And um, it's a pity that after working nine years in the lab of a major pharma company, I personally was never associated with a um, FDA-approved uh, drug uh, <laughs> because all the projects I worked on, including the last project, which was a uh, base project. And Merck actually ultimately took that drug all the way to phase three trials for Alzheimer's disease. But unfortunately, um, it was futile. So they stopped the trial. I mean, I was actually hoping that I could be associated with a, uh, with a, you know, an, a marketed drug. So that never happened, unfortunately, in my <laughs> first nine years in the industry. So I had this kind of like aspiration or ambition that I personally really wanted to be associated with a, with a drug, you know. A, uh, a marketing therapy that could benefit uh, the life of uh, patients. So that's probably really the biggest impetus for me to join the company because I really wanted to try it out. And, you know, um, the potential of the BCMA CAR-T becoming a um, marketing therapy, really, you know, it's getting closer and closer. And I wanted to uh, make an impact and hopefully be associated with that. So that's probably a deciding factor why uh, why I chose to join the company as CFO in 2019. Mm, okay, yeah, really interesting background um, and just like hearing about, you know, how you came to the decision. And now, um, you know, as we're, we're all aware, now you're uh, the CFO as well. So, so what was the transition like? Because I guess this year has been quite chaotic for most people, but especially for Legend, you, um, you know, did an IPO, um, Frank came in to become CEO, and now uh, now your is the company is transitioning into uh, being led by you as well. And just actually this past week, we've received some, you know, like GenScript press releases about the situation. Um, so I was just wondering, like, you know, how this period has been for you. And um, in terms of Frank, I saw that he has resigned from all his positions, so... I was just want to get some clarity on like how involved Frank was because I know he was kind of working both with Genscript and Legend and um, how much overlap was there and will will his departure kind of affect Legend short term or yeah just want um, to hear from you. Sure, I mean um, you rightfully um, you know pointed out all these uh, transitions in the company um, in the last few months right mm. um, after we went public in June um, Yuan actually uh, um, resigned as a CEO um, in the beginning of August and then uh, Frank um, you know who has been always the chairman from day one for uh, legend uh, assumed the CEO position um, so I would say Frank um, even though he was not really um, managing legend operation on a daily basis, but because he was one of the co-founders back in 2014, um, he was always personally quite involved in legend. Um, so he had intimate knowledge about our operation, including our collaboration activities with JNJ on BCMA CAR-T and also our internal pipeline development. Um, so he was quite knowledgeable. And quite impactful on the uh, on the uh, on the legend operation, but of course not on the managerial um, level as a CEO. And then um, he took over as a CEO in the beginning of August until um, September, um, because unfortunately 
there was this investigation from uh, Chinese authorities on suspected violation of import and export uh, regulations and laws in China. And uh, um, several employees of uh, Janscript were um, questioned and detained. And Frank was also put under so-called residential surveillance. So um, after that happened, um, considering the restriction um, of um, uh, Frank's ability to perform the duty um, as a CEO, the board actually uh, appointed me as the interim CEO mm-hmm. um, in September. So I took over as interim CEO. And then uh, um, last Friday, the news came that uh, Frank actually was um, arrested again on this uh, suspected uh, violation of prohibited substances um, under the uh, Chinese laws and regulations governing import and uh, export. So um, when this unfortunately happened, um, Frank resigned from the board completely because, um, you know, um, he's doing this really in the interest, in the best interest of legend and also its uh, shareholders, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So now, um, you know, since uh, November um, 9th, I have assumed the um, permanent CEO position and uh, I'm running the company now. So, you know, in terms of Frank's impact, like I said, um, he was always quite involved and on a high level, he knew what our strategy was going to be and uh, what our priority um, was in terms of pipeline development. Uh, But he was really only the CEO for about one and a half months. So, he um, tried to shape the company um, in that way during that one and a half months, but it was a short period. So the good thing is we have a very strong management team here, both in China and in the U.S. Um, so we really have drawn on the management team's experience and uh, training in this transition period. And um, I can assure you that in terms of our uh, operation, we're really running everything as normal and uh, we're executing as planned. Um, so that's the good news that our business um, continues uninterrupted um, during this, uh, um, you know, tumultuous uh, period here. Um, and then going forward, of course, uh, we'll continue to execute the priorities, um, including getting the uh, BCMA CAR-T approved and marketed as a treatment for uh, late-line multiple myeloma. In the meantime, we'll continue to uh, focus on our internal pipeline development as these phase one trials are ongoing today. And we'll continue to push forward with our effort in bringing um, certain therapies into the IND and uh, phase one uh, stage of development here in the U.S. and also in China. Mm, Okay. Yeah, one of the things I was wondering about, um, you know, in terms of his um, arrest and uh, how he kind of, I guess, violated some regulation or law is, I guess, maybe Genscript and Legend that you work with cells, uh, cell therapies, and there's like genetic material or blood samples involved. Um, so is there a risk that, um, you know, Legend might uh, run into this type of um, issue in the future as well? And is it also because China's regulations on cell therapy is is uh, not well-defined, or is, is that not the, the central issue? Yeah, so that's a fair question, Jonathan. Um, I guess, first of all, I want to point out that to date, nobody 
including Frank and also the other arrested uh, Jenscreen employees, have been charged. Um, and then um, from the legend perspective, today, uh, currently, at this moment, we do not have any employees um, who are being um, detained, arrested, and nobody also um, has been charged either. Um, so that's the current status of this investigation. And secondly, I also want to point out that, um, you know, even though the investigation remains ongoing and we do not exactly know what triggered this investigation um, or exactly what evidence um, the authorities are uh, collecting and uh, based on which Frank has been arrested. Uh, we do believe that there's no evidence to date to suggest that legend is the target of the government investigation in, uh, in China. Um, so these are all the uh, facts. And, uh, you know, we believe that um, we have performed our business activities in China uh, according to the laws and uh, regulations um, in China. Uh, for example, if you look at our registration trials for the BCMA CAR-T program, mm -hmm. in the U.S., we have a CAR-T-1 program that is led by uh, our partner, uh, JNJ. And um, in terms of manufacturing, it's all done within the United States. And then in China, we actually have a separate phase two registration trial called CARDIFAN-1 trial. And then all the uh, clinical manufacturing is uh, or was done in our facility in Nanjing in PR China. So part of the reason we actually did this was because that we knew from the very beginning of the development that um, the laws in China are different from the laws in the U.S. And, um, um, you know, we would be very careful in terms of um, observing and, um, you know, uh, abiding by the laws and regulations on transport of blood samples and uh, cell lines and everything. So, you know, we were very cautious, right? And that is why we have two separate trials. And uh, in terms of clinical manufacturing, all the cell therapies, um, you know, in China, it's all manufactured in China within the border of PR China. Um, so that's what we can say about that, about this. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Let's hope um, the investigation is just um, because of some confusion, and Frank can um, come back to Legend or or GenScript in the future. Um, so let's move on to your program, uh, Cell to Cell. Um, I know that you're presenting um, some new data in the upcoming um, uh, conferences and presentation. But uh, just from I guess a base standpoint, can you tell us about this therapy and uh, how development is going so far? And yeah, what, what kind of uh, data should we be looking out for? Yeah, sure. So let's talk about the upcoming ASH uh, presentation. So ASH, um, you know, or uh, American Society of uh, Hematology. Um, so the annual meeting of ASH um, is uh, the largest hematology meeting um, in the world. And uh, JNG and Legend are going to present the updated data for uh, this study called Cartitude 1. Um, so we'll provide data update um, for all the 97 patients from the Cartitude 1 program, including the 29 patients enrolled in Phase 1B portion, and then uh, the 68 patients from the uh, Phase 2 portion. Um, at ASH 2019 and subsequently at ASCO 2020, uh, we reported data for the first 29 patients enrolled in the uh, phase 1B portion. But at ASH 2020 on December 5th, uh, we will actually report 
data for all 97 patients in this CARTITUDE 1 trial. Um, so um, on November 5th, actually, um, ASH published the um, abstracts for the ASH meeting for 2020. And we already provided um, some data in this uh, abstract for uh, uh, Um I don't know if you had a chance to um, look at the abstract that we published in the uh, abstract itself. But as you can see, that we reported in the uh, pseudocell cartitude card 1, uh, phase 1b and phase 2 um, ASH abstract that with the data cut off on May 20th of 2020, we had a median follow-up of 8.8 um, uh, months for these uh, 97 uh, patients. And these patients are very, very sick because they had received a median of 6 prior lines of therapy. And then uh, if you look at the so-called refractoriness of these patients, in fact, 87.6% of these patients were triple refractory, which means they were refractory to, uh, to um, all three major classes of therapy in the market, namely um, a uh, immunomodulator, or what we call IMIT, um, and then uh, a class of uh, proteasome inhibitor, or what we call PI, and then lastly, a CD38 antibody. So that shows you how sick these patients are. And really, um, in all practical uh, sense, these patients are out of uh, options, right, in terms of the treatments that are available in the market today. Mm -hmm. So we were happy to report that the overall response rate was uh, 94.8% which means, you know, almost 95% of the patients actually responded to, uh, to our therapy, cell, and uh, they saw a uh, meaningful reduction in tumor burden. Um, and then the so-called stringent complete remission rate was uh, 55.7%. That means, you know, almost 56% uh, patients were essentially in, uh, in remission. Um, and then uh, we also reported uh, certain... Uh, um, landmark analysis of PFS or a progression of free survival. So basically, uh, the six month, uh, PFS rate was, uh, um, 87.4%. Um, and then, uh, the median PFS data were not reached, um, yet because the data was not mature yet. So these were all the important data we included in the ASH abstract. And then at ASH itself on December 7th, uh, we'll present um, another update of the uh, longer follow-up for these 97 patients in CARTITUDE 1. So that's um, what's coming up at uh, ASH meeting. And then uh, in terms of um, the other clinical trials within the CARTITUDE uh, program, we have an ongoing multi-cohort phase 2 trial called CARTITUDE 2. Um, so we're basically looking at the potential for cell in treating earlier lines of uh, multiple myeloma patients, um, including even frontline patients. For example, we recently opened a cohort E in uh, the phase two CARTITUDE uh, two trial. And the cohort E will um, enroll patients who are, who are newly diagnosed, uh, who also have high risk um, cytogenetics, which means these patients have a um, higher risk of uh, fast uh, cancer progression. So that's the phase two trial that are ongoing globally. And then lastly, we have a uh, CARTITUDE 4 trial, which is the first randomized active controlled phase three trial we're conducting for cell. And uh, this trial is planned to enroll um, 400 patients, one-to-one -one randomized 
to receive either the CAR-T product, Siltacel, or a uh, standard of care cocktail therapy. And in this trial, we're enrolling patients who have had um, one to three prior lines of therapy. Um, and um, they were also uh, refreshed to uh, rev limit. So this trial is ongoing, and uh, we actually um, um, start enrollment of patients by mid-year this year. And this is also a, a global trial um, JNJ and the Legend are conducting. So these three trials, CARTITUDE 1, CARTITUDE 2, and CARTITUDE 4, are the active ongoing trials within the uh, CARTITUDE program for uh, the global development of uh, uh, cell. And then in China, like I mentioned, we have a phase 2 registration trial called CARTIFEM 1 um, ongoing right now. Yeah, so it sounds like the data is quite promising and uh, looking forward to you know, seeing uh, what comes out of ASH. So I know that um, the Cytocell, um has breakthrough uh, designation. So in terms of timeline, how quickly do you think we would be able to see this therapy approved in U.S. and in China? Yeah, sure. Um, so our partner, um, J&J, remains on track to initiate the BLA filing with the FDA in the U.S. by end of this year. We did not provide any guidance when the FDA approval is expected. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if you follow the uh, priority review clock, right, typically once the BLA filing is completed, the FDA will take up to um, um, eight months since the day of completion of BLA filing to review such applications. Um, so that's, um, that's the timeline. Um, in China, Right now, we're planning to submit the BLA filing to CDE in China in 2021. So that's the plan right now. Mm, okay, I see. So in terms of um, the rest of your pipeline, I noticed that you do have uh, drug assets designed for solid tumors. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that in terms of solid tumor and uh, blood tumor. What would you call it? The micro-tumor environment it might be a little different, um, the way that drugs you know, get to the target might be a little different. I was just wondering, like, how um, these cell therapies would be would work just for targeting solid tumors. Um, you're actually right. Um, you know, so far we have seen uh, promising data for CAR T as a treatment modality in uh, treating the hematology malignancies uh, or what we call liquid tumors, right? And that uh, includes um, lymphoma. Um, leukemia and uh, multiple myeloma. However, um, it's been difficult to uh, use um, a CAR-T treatment modality to treat a solid tumor. And uh, there are many reasons, but um, first of all, um, CAR-T therapy is infused right into the veins. So, you know, therefore, it basically almost immediately touches all these um, cancer cells, right, within, uh, within uh, the veins. So that it's easier to reach your therapeutic target in this case. Now, um, solid tumors, um, of course, are um, a different types of tumor because they happen in uh, different organs. So first of all, um, you have to reach um, where the solid tumor is, right, uh, for a CAR-T treatment. Secondly, um, the solid tumors, um, you know, they're very smart, right? That's how they escape the... Uh, uh, immune surveillance by our own body. And, um, you know, they have this, uh, so-called, uh, tumor micro environment, which, um, you know, essentially prevents or blunts the, uh, treatment, 
um, in that tumor microbial environment. And for that reason, it's been difficult to show promising efficacy for CAR T um, as a treatment for solid tumors. So, I mean, I personally think that there are probably, you know, I guess two holy grails in, uh, in CAR T, right? One is, can you treat solid tumor and then achieve similar level of efficacy um, as observed in uh, hematology malignancies? And the other one is, can you actually come up with a... Uh, um, universal CAR-T or allogenic CAR-T. Um, this way, um, you don't have to individually manufacture a batch for a patient. Rather, um, you can collect cells from uh, healthy donors, and then uh, you can manufacture um, in a batch that will be used to treat multiple patients. This way, you can lower the treatment cost. You can also reduce the um, uh, the time for the patient to receive a CAR T therapy. So I think those are probably the future directions for uh, the CAR T field. And in fact, many companies, including Legend, have been uh, working on these two uh, two areas. So specifically to your question, in terms of our development in solid tumor, um, right now we do have three programs. Um, so the first couple of programs uh, we're using the same autologous CAR T. Um, targeting a uh, protein called Claudine 18.2. And then we're testing in uh, phase one trials, one for gastric cancer treatment, the other one is for uh, pancreatic cancer uh, treatment. And then recently we also um, initiated a phase one trial, a phase one investigator initiate trial in uh, China using this autologous CAR T targeting mesothelium um, as a potential treatment for ovarian cancer. So those are the three ongoing phase one programs we have in uh, solid tumor. We just, you know, started uh, these programs and uh, they're still enrolling patients. Uh, we don't have any data to report yet, uh, but these represent our effort in uh, developing CAR-T as a treatment for a solid tumor. I think it's a bit uh, too early to tell whether um, they will work as well as what we saw um, in the uh, hematology malignancies, but that is one research area we're definitely uh, focusing on uh, because of the prevalence and also incidence of uh, the solid tumor indications. Mm, okay, yeah. Well, hopefully, um, you know, we'll see some data soon, and yeah, we'll see some updates for that as well. So, um, yeah. So, just to you know, wrap up our time, just want to end on a good note. Um, you know, in terms of this year, it's been uh, quite chaotic for everyone. Uh, can you share what's something that you've learned about yourself this year in <laughs> pandemic and also with legends, um, transitions, and um, any advice you can give to you know young scientists or people who are aspiring to start a biotech startup? Yeah, sure. Um, I would say if I have to summarize um, my learning from the year of 2020, it is that you know, you should always expect the unexpected um, and uh, you should always be ready to embrace uh, the change, right? Um, like I mentioned to you, when I signed up for uh, Legend last year, um, I was, you know, um, joining the company as a CFO and uh, I thought my main responsibilities would include um, raising capital and then um, get the um, finance and accounting um, part of the uh organization in order. Uh, but then, you know, one thing led to another and now I am in the CEO spot. So, um, <laughs> I, you know, I am, to be honest, right, I am in a very steep learning curve. Um, you know, just 
when I thought that I was getting used to my CFO roles and responsibilities. Now I have to learn more from my colleagues um, in regulatory affairs, in clinical development, in research and development, in uh, um, commercialization, right? Because these are all um, new things I have to uh, learn. So, um, you know, you really have to always maintain the ability to learn because even though I graduated from uh, grad school a long time ago, but I actually find it uh, very exciting and refreshing that every day I feel like I'm learning something new from my colleagues, from our partners and from our physicians. So I think, you know, that's the attitude that we should all take, right? Um, like I said, um, you know, you never know um, what future lies, but in order to be ready to rise up to the challenge, you always have to be uh, prepared uh, for unexpected changes. And the way you be prepared is that, you know, you keep learning every single day uh, because there's so much um, that we don't understand. We don't know about uh, the biology, about the science, about the human body. Um, so that's probably my most important lesson from uh, this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I personally believe really um, there's so much exciting breakthrough um, coming into the field of uh biology and uh, immunology. We have been through many, many different uh, advances in the pharmaceutical development, right? Um, it goes from small molecules to um, monoclonal antibodies. Um, then now we're actually venturing into a brand new field, um, cell therapy and gene therapy. Um, so I think for young scientists who wanted, who want to join our industry, right? I think this is really um, a great time. In fact, probably, you know, the best time so far. And I do see a lot of uh, exciting discoveries and uh, development ahead of us. So I do think, you know, despite all the difficulties brought about by the COVID-19 outbreak and uh, other uh, others, um, I remain very hopeful that, you know, we are going to have more treatment options available to uh, to uh, patients and uh, we'll be able to solve this puzzle and uh, improve the uh, lives of these patients globally. Mm. Yeah, that's very well said. And I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, it's a great time to be in science. And I think this year has highlighted the importance of science for our uh, community. And um, yeah, so really looking forward to um, seeing more good things coming out of Legend, um, seeing how you lead the company to grow and develop really um, you know, life-changing medicines for uh, patients around the world. Thank you, Jonathan. And that is it for this episode of the Asia Healthcare Podcast. Special thanks to Legend Biotech and Ying for taking the time to uh, catch up and share with me about their progress. If you want to support the podcast, uh, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening to this. And yeah, really appreciate it. We'll continue to make more episodes and dive more into Asia healthcare. See you next time.